Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. Today, I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter 7 today. Last time we looked at, uh, began our uh, responding to the call of God study, and we talked about the call to salvation and the call to share the gospel, the, the call to, to return if you've gone astray, and then the call to go. And today we're going to just look at one more call, and that's the call to prayer. Responding to God's call, the call to prayer. I love what Jack Taylor said years ago, prayer does not fit us for the greater work, it is the greater work. I want us to look at a passage in 2 Chronicles just to set the stage here. These are the the pinnacle, zenith, highlight days for the nation of Israel. David has has passed the torch to Solomon, his son, to to build the temple, King Solomon. You can read all in Scripture how how everybody from the world came to him just to see the glory of Israel. And, And God finally enabled Solomon to finish building the temple. And so as we pick up the story in chapter 7, it's the dedication of the the temple. There's There's been a procession of people carrying the Ark of the Covenant that was once in the tabernacle, now be set in the temple, its permanent place for the people of God. And so God gives this answer in response to to Solomon. The Bible says, Then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple of sacrifice. If I close the sky so that there is no rain, or if I command the grasshoppers to consume the land, or if I send pestilence upon my people, and the people knew that if God did that, it was because of their disobedience, He says in verse 14, and my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray, seek my face and turn from their evil ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. Now we use that as a a prescription for revival and we've spent a lot of time over the years dissecting that one verse about humbling and praying and seeking and turning, but I just want us to focus on the the part of this where God is calling his people to prayer. Look at verse 15. My eyes will now be open. God speaking to Solomon. My ears attentive to the prayer from this place. And I have now chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there at all times. God calls his people to be a people of prayer. And he says that place where you gather for them, it was the temple. For us, it is this corporate gathering of believers. That's going to be the place that I want to be committed, focused on, intentional about prayer. I want in this place, in essence, God is saying to Solomon, I want prayer to be this communication with me, Solomon. I want that to be the focus of what happens here. Not just the sacrifices, not just the, the sacrificial system, but communion with me. So I want to make the New Testament application for us. It's the same for us. God wants this place. God wants the place we gather in to be focused on an intentional relationship with him and for prayer to be the groundwork of that. If you have your outline and you're taking notes, I just want to walk through some things about this, this reality of being called to prayer. First of all, number one, God calls us to prayer to prepare us spiritually for the challenges that lay ahead. 
God calls us, his people, to prayer to prepare us spiritually for the challenges ahead. This passage of scripture is written to the people of God and they're celebrating their best days. He's saying down the road, you're gonna have some challenges. He's saying to them, things are good now and things can get better if you walk with me in obedience. But if there isn't that, you just come back to me in prayer. You just meet with me in prayer. So he calls the people of God to prepare for the days ahead where he knows there will be challenges. I thought about that as I was preparing this passage of scripture, walking through what to say to a, a church when you have four sermons left. Boy, that's, a, that's an awesome responsibility, four sermons. And so last week, I let you know about the call, uh, uh, all those calls and the call to go. And today, the call to prayer, this is what I really believe God wants us to hear as the people of God. God wants to prepare this congregation spiritually for what lies ahead. Now, you may think, oh, is he saying the challenges are gonna be terrible? I don't think so. I think the best days for Coastal Oaks are ahead. I really do. And I'm not just saying that because it's a cool thing to say. It's a spiritual thing to say. I really believe that God is about to do a great work here. And those days ahead are going to be challenging. You're going to be walking through a season where you experience something you've never experienced since I've been here, and that's me not being here. You're going to walk through a season of having to challenge yourselves to say, are we really committed to this body of believers? Remember, we say that you, you become a Christian by committing your life to Christ, and you become a, a, a church member by committing your life to other believers. That's what we've called you to do here. And I believe God is preparing us, and he wants us to, as a congregation to come to prayer. Verna mentioned it earlier in the announcements. Next week, uh, on the 9th, we're going to have a call to prayer. We're going to come together and worship and, and just, just seek the Lord as a congregation. As, as I walk through this passage here, and I, I can't help but address the fact that preparing us spiritually involves turning from our evil ways. Gordon MacDonald comments about this issue of repentance when he says, if my people will turn from their wicked, evil ways, that, that this was written to a culture that didn't have maps, they didn't have GPS, they didn't have road signs, they just had to follow where they thought they were going. And, and this word repentance means to realize you're going the wrong way and turn around. So it would, it would have been spoken to a, a nomadic culture, that word repentance. People who knew when you're walking the wrong way and you realize it's wrong, you, wrong, you have to reorient yourself and walk the right way. That's what he's saying. When you pray, some of you are going to have to be doing that. I want you to look at Psalm 51 with me. I debated whether or not to read this whole psalm, but I'm going I'm to read the bulk of it. Because this expresses where some of us may be in our walk with God right now. David's prayer for restoration in this passage. This is when, when I'm praying and God's preparing me for a challenge ahead. He may speak to my heart about issues, about attitudes, about sin that's in my life. And then Psalm 51 ought to be how we approach God in that. Be gracious to me, God. According to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. Wash away my guilt. Cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you alone I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self and you teach me wisdom deep within. And then he, he has this picture, this word picture about what would happen with, with cleansing. Purify me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear your joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. 
You ever felt like your bones have been crushed because God has, has just really pointed out something to you? And it's just, oh. Lord, let the bones you've crushed rejoice. Turn your face from my sins and blot out all my guilt. And I love 10 through 13. Really, I was just going to read 10 through 13, but I couldn't help it. Here's his prayer. When you're praying through this challenge ahead, the days ahead in the life of this church and your involvement with this congregation, this needs to be the prayer. Create, God, create a clean heart for me. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me. and Give me a willing spirit that I will teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Something that I believe God needs to do with some of us is just to point out there's sin in your life. This church is never gonna be what God intends for it to be until you deal with that sin in your life. Folks, the, the church, the body of believers will never be any stronger than the individual relationships with the Lord that are in the body. Maybe God will speak to some during these days and point out sin, and, and you just will have to see yourself as God sees you, as you really are, a person who's sinned and needs restoration. I remember years ago when I first started turning gray. Yeah. I was, sitting in the, I was sitting in the chair getting my hair cut at, at the barbershop, and, and I blamed it on the fluorescent lights. But I looked on that black kind of small kit you wear, and I looked on the floor, and I saw this gray hair. I had never noticed it before. And I said something to the person cutting my hair, and they didn't say this, but they said this, duh. <laughs> Buddy, you're getting old, and your hair's turning gray. And I can remember sitting there, and for the first time, I had to recognize this is who I am. I am a gray-headed man. <laughs> and that was tough for me. Maybe as you go to the Lord in prayer, you might have one of those aha moments, and you're just sailing along in your Christian life, and you think things are great, and God just snaps right there and lets you know, there's something in your life that doesn't please me. And you see yourself as God sees yourself, and you cry out like David did. Lord, give me a renew, a, renew a right spirit, create a clean heart in me. When we pray to prepare for what God wants to do, he wants us to be spiritually prepared in that sense, but he also wants us to be spiritually prepared in the sense that he might be about, he's about to do something that I need to be ready for. In other words, I need to expect that God's gonna move. Somebody was sharing a testimony with me this morning before church how God had answered a prayer and, and, and this is a man who's walked with the Lord for years and he said, I was surprised, but I shouldn't have been surprised. Have you ever been that way? You just ask God to move in a mighty way and he moves in a mighty way and we say, I'm surprised? No. We, we, and we talked about that, how crazy that is for us as believers to pray for God and not expect him really to come in and move. It's like the, the preacher who, uh, there was a drought and he called his congregation together and said, we're gonna come and we're gonna pray for rain. And so they all came together, and he looked out over the congregation. He just stood there for the longest time looking at everybody. And they thought, what's up? He said, well, I, I see that you're here to pray for rain, but I don't see any umbrellas. See, we go, God, we want you to move, but we don't really expect him to move. Part of preparing for what God's going to do is preparing for God to move and to hold on. I've talked to some pastors recently, and their description of what God was doing in their churches, I mean, I've got a tiger by the tail. 
God is up to something and I'm just trying to hang on. Wouldn't that be great? If God just moved in such a way, we need to expect that. I'm gonna move on. Second point. God calls us to prayer in order to address our brokenness and our grief. God calls us to prayer in order to address our brokenness and our grief. David speaks in this Psalm 51 about being crushed. Solomon, in his instructions from the Lord, talks about that brokenness and humility. But I want to go to a passage to kind of illustrate this in the book of Nehemiah. So if you're, if you're there in Psalm, just kind of backtrack a little bit until you find Nehemiah in the first chapter. And I just want to read a little bit of Nehemiah's, of his prayer, a little, and kind of give you some background of this situation. I just read about the temple and the zenith peak days of the nation of Israel. And let me tell you, 140 years down the road, things were not so good. The Syrians had come in, taken the northern kingdom away into captivity. The Babylonians came in and took the southern kingdom away into captivity. Jerusalem fell, and things were not good. So you fast forward to this this time, 140-something years later, and Jerusalem is in ruins now. Partly because of their disobedience, partly because they just didn't believe God in what he said. And so now Nehemiah is one of those people who's in captivity in Persia. And he's, he's, he gets word that Jerusalem, the, the, the Jerusalem has fallen. He knew that it had fallen, but that the city was in disrepair, the temple was in disrepair. And look at chapter one of Nehemiah. Y'all find, I was to give you time to find Nehemiah. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. During the month of Kislev in the 20th year when I was in the fortress city of Susa, that's in the captivity, Hanani, one of my brothers, arrived with men from Judah, and I questioned them about Jerusalem and the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile or the captivity. They said to me, the remnant in the province who survived the exile are in great trouble and disgrace. Jerusalem's wall has been broken down and his gates have been burned down. So now Nehemiah responds, when I heard these words, verse four, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for a number of days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Said Yahweh, God of heaven, the great and awe, this is his prayer, the great and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and keep his commands. Let your eyes be open and your ears attentive to hear your servant's prayer that I now pray to you day and night for your servants, the Israelites. He's interceding for the people of God back in Jerusalem. God, hear my prayer that I pray day and night. Both I and my father's house have sinned. While I've acted corrupt, we've acted corruptly um, toward you and have not kept the commands, the statutes, the ordinances that you gave your servant Moses. Please remember that you commanded your servant Moses, if you are faithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. And they weren't, and he did. I added that. But if you return to me and carefully observe my commands, even though your exiles were banished to the ends of the earth, I will gather them from there and bring them to a place where I chose to have my name dwell. You know that place, don't you? We just read about it in the dedication of the temple. They are your servants and your people. You redeem them by your great power. I love this as a great prayer study of how Nehemiah reminds God of everything God had said, and he's reminding himself and just praying the word back to God. Please, Lord, verse 11, here's the key. Please, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant 
and that your servants who delight to revere your name. Give, give your servant success today and have compassion on him in the presence of this man. We'll talk about that man in just, in just a minute. But I want to highlight here what's happening with Nehemiah. Nehemiah is broken and he's grieving. The way Nehemiah puts it is, is I, I wept in verse four and I mourned because God's people were in disgrace and God's place and God's temple was in disgrace. And I just thought it might be a good application for us today. Though this place is not in disgrace, though God, I believe God is, is moving, I've, I've seen it, we've even got more people coming forward wanting to be baptized, God is at work in this place. But there is a sense of grief that can set in when a pastor leaves the congregation. I'm already experiencing it on my end. And I know some of you may be experiencing it on your end. So what did Nehemiah do when he was grieving? He went to the Father in prayer. Now, I don't want to sound super uh, uh, tried and give you a cliche, but I just believe that's going to be the solution for us, my family, and you to get through this time of loss, because we're going to lose something, right? I'm losing this family connection. You're going to lose this connection with us. It's going to be a, a period of loss and a period of grief. Paul wrote in Philippians, don't worry about anything. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. If you're anxious, if you're grieving, if you're, if you're in that place of mourning, the loss of this relationship we've had, Take it to the Lord in prayer. That'd make a good hymn, wouldn't it? Are you weak and heavy laden? Take it to the Lord in prayer. Again, it sounds simple, but that's where you go. That's one reason why we call this night of prayer on, on the ninth. I know it's not on the second because that's Super Bowl Sunday. I learned that the hard way. We've called it on the ninth. That's one reason, because I believe the people of God just need to come, to come together and just take it to the Lord in prayer. We'll talk more about that later, I think. It's my plan anyway, later in here. God calls us to prayer in order for us to address our brokenness and our grief. Let's go to him with that. 30 years ago, I can't remember what date it was anyway. Uh, I was working in Houston, Texas. I was working at a, a boring and tunneling company, doing some office work for them while I prepared to, to finish my degree so I could go to seminary. And the phone rang, and they called me, and they didn't ever call me to the phone because that wasn't what I did. They said, it's your family. They said, it's urgent. So we were, they were bu building new offices there, so they said, there's a phone in that office. Go answer it there. So I went down to this new wing of offices and it was dark and the phones were on the floor. That was in the day when you had cords to your phones, you remember? And I sat down on the floor and I picked up the phone, pressed the light, and I, I, was, I was shaking because they said it's urgent. I said hello and it was my dad. And he said, Kevin, um, I can't remember his exact words, but basically your mom has cancer. And I had never heard those words before. I had never expected to hear those words before. And I remember sitting down in that dark office on that hard linoleum floor by myself, and I just took it to the Lord in prayer. I, folks, I, I prayed that, that moment like I've never prayed before. Like I've never prayed before. God, what is going on? What is going on? 
I need you. Sometimes in our grief, in our, our loss, well, I said sometimes, every time. That's where we find relief. Third thing that happens when God calls us to prayer, he reminds us of our dependence on him. He reminds us of our dependence on him. Still in Nehemiah chapter 1, when Nehemiah starts praying and he's mourning and broken, he says in verse 5 and 6, basically, God, you're amazing. You've got this. This is Kevin's paraphrase. You're watching. You're listening. Again, Kevin's paraphrase. And then jump down with me to verse 11. Please, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant, to those of your servants who delight to revere your name. Give your servant success today and compassion on him in the presence of this man. This man was the king he was about to go to and say, I need permission to leave the exile and go back and take some people with me and rebuild the wall. So here's what Nehemiah, this is what happens. Nehemiah is about to approach the king. He's cupbearer. It's a big deal. But still, he's going to go to the king with this request, and he just calls him this man. <laughs> so look at the contrast. Nehemiah is broken. He's struggling. In the beginning of that prayer, he reminds God and himself that God is big. By the time he gets to the end of the prayer, the king is that guy. Do you see it? Lord, you've got this. And by the way, I'm going to go talk to that guy. He's the king. He's got all power here, but he's just a guy. Nehemiah, through his prayer, through his prayer of dependence on God, is recognizing he is completely, totally trusting in his heavenly father. See, what Nehemiah does is he begins with God, not the problem. I'll confess to you, I often begin with the problem. And I lay it out there. God, here's the mess I got myself in, or here's the, here's the issue, or here's the situation, or here's whatever the struggle is. I, I start with laying that all out before God, and then I kind of step back and say, God, thank you that you've been good. And, now, and Nehemiah, Nehemiah just goes to God and starts with God. And by the time he gets through, the problem is no big deal. That's what happens in prayer. That's what happens when we go to God this way, and we, we learn to gaze at God and glance at the problem. Our gaze is at God. Because you know why? He's got the big picture. He has the big picture. I remember years ago when our kids were little, we borrowed a pop-up camper and went to the Davis Mountains to camp. And we had set up our camp, and Cameron wanted to climb everything. He was about that big then, I guess. I don't know. If it could be climbed, he would climb it. He, he was the climber. So I'm his dad. I'm going to go climb. We climbed rocks, and we climbed. and Got to the top of this mountain, and he was so fascinated that when we got to the top, he could find our camper down there amidst the other campers. You know, Dad, look, there it is right there. There's, there's Mom and Carissa. They're down there. I don't think they're in here, son, but he was screaming at them, you know. And, and we kind of, both of us sort of cherished this moment that we had the big picture, that we were up here, and we could see them down there, and we see it. That's the way God is with us. We're, we're down here in our little camper doing our thing, and he has the big picture. You can trust him. You can depend on him. That's what Nehemiah does. That's what I believe prayer leads us to do if we start with him and not with the problem. The fourth thing that happens when God calls us to prayer, not my favorite, 
but I got to put it in here. Okay? God calls us to prayer to cause us to wait on him. Anybody else have trouble with that one? (laughs) God calls us to prayer to enable us to wait on him, to cause us to wait. Let's fast forward about 500 years and go to the book of Acts. Jesus has come on the scene. He's lived a sinless life. He's died on the cross to atone for sins. He's been buried. He's been raised. Alive. He's alive. And so now he tells his disciples, I want you to, I want you to, to come together and wait for me because I'm going to send another comfort. I'm going to send my spirit. Look at verse 4 in Acts chapter 1. While he was together with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. This, he said, is what you heard from me. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Then we have the great commission that comes after that. We're just going to kind of jump past that. I just want to say that Jesus calls them together to say, wait, I'm going to send someone else. Look at verse 12. They returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, and which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. So they come back. Look at verse 14. The Bible says all these were continually united in prayer, along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. When God meets with his people, they come to him in prayer. He asks them to wait, he asks them to wait for him to move. And there's this incredible opportunity for God to work. I don't know what the days ahead look like for Coastal Oaks other than the fact that God knows what they look like for Coastal Oaks. The average time for a church like ours to find a new pastor in the the church polity, the system that we use, is six to 18 months. I heard this week that you might as well just add one month of search for every year the pastor served. So let that one sink in for a minute, church, okay? It could be 25 months before this church calls a pastor. Wait on him. Wait on him. We formed a transition team that will elect that transition team next next Sunday after the morning worship service. Let them do their job of finding people to preach in the interim. Let them do their job if God leads them to find an interim pastor or preacher who can fill in that whole time gap and help the search committee. And then let the search committee do their job of trying to find God's man. It'll take a while. If you're chosen to serve on that search committee, take that job seriously. It will not be easy. You'll have to wait on him. God calls us to prayer, to wait on him for his answer. This whole process is going to allow us to do that. It's going to allow this congregation just to keep seeking and asking and waiting and knocking until God answers that prayer the way only he can answer it, and that's with the man that he has for this church. God calls us to prayer to cause us to wait on him. Man, I know it'd be great if next month you could have somebody. 
right? Or the next month, or the next month. Let's just, let's trust God and wait on him, okay? My fifth point, God calls us to prayer to unite us together, to unite us together. Look at verse 11, or verse 14 again. They were continually united in prayer, continually. Let prayer be the heart of what we do as a church. Let prayer be at the heart of what these, the transition team does, what the search committee is. Let it all be about prayer. Again, remember, prayer doesn't, doesn't get us ready for the work. It is the work. I went to a conference last Wednesday to kind of help understand what might be in store for this congregation in, in this transition time, and it was driven home over and over again. Pray, pray, pray. Get your church praying. Get your people praying. Because when you pray, you're waiting to hear from God and not your own agenda. You ever been with somebody who prayed their agenda? You know you're in a small prayer group? You ever been with someone who preaches while they pray? Dear Lord, thank you so much for Pastor Kevin. Just change his heart. Wake him up, Lord. Prayer is communicating with the Father. My desire is that as we come together next Sunday night, we're going to do what's called a concert of prayer. We've done that over the years here. We're going to do some worship. That's not the concert part, okay? The concert is we're going to be praying together. And I will be asking you to get in groups of three sometimes, sometimes two, sometimes five, sometimes ten. And I'm going to say, somebody in that group that wants to pray out loud, go ahead, but if not, pray silently, and I'll give you instructions on what to pray. We're going to have a concert of prayer, and we're going to pray a little bit, break up, pray a little bit, so you're going to be moving around. It's not going to be I'm falling asleep because we're praying. It's going to be, a, I believe, a great time where we just seek God's heart, and, and my desire is that he will use that night to build even more unity in this unified church to what his plan and purpose is. I've shared this before, but one of my favorite stories is about InterVarsity inter Christian Fellowship. About every three years, they get people from all over the world together, Christians to pray, to do ministry, to do these conferences. And, and one of those gatherings, there were 16,000 people who'd come together for this InterVarsity Fellowship time. And after the main evening sessions, they would go and get in prayer groups with their folks, you know? So there were people from China there, so after the big sessions, the Chinese believers would get over here in this conference room and pray. And then over here next to them, there would be some Chinese, some, some Chinese from Taiwan, some Taiwanese. They're on the other side of this divider. You know how they have the dividers in the conference rooms and hotels? They're divided because they don't really get along with those folks because they're kind of like the independence folks. And then there were some people from Korea there and some people from Japan there some people from Hong Kong there. So you have all these different groups of believers praying in separate rooms. And something happened in those two conference rooms where the Chinese students and the Taiwanese students were praying separately. Somehow, some way, somebody decided to open up that barrier between the two groups so they could pray as one. And folks, we don't live in Asia. But let me tell you, we think Asian people are Asian people. There's some animosities between those groups, hatred because of what different, 
different regimes have done to their people over the years that go back for hundreds, even thousands of years. And they got together and they began to pray and suddenly there was a spirit of we're all believers, we can do this together. And then somehow the Japanese folks heard about it. You get the Japanese and the Chinese together, there's some animosity there. They came together. And then the Koreans got in on this and it became this incredibly united prayer meeting, which is the way it's supposed to be. I believe that as we come together as a congregation, God's going to do that. He's going to unite us even more as a people of God because he has a plan for this church. Let's pray right now.